I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. We treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringa and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenua of Te Awa Kairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hello, Jen. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I am a broken human. That's what I am. I am very tired. Oh, and right? Well, I mean, yes, but also I feel it's hard for me to string a sentence together. So we'll see how, how this recording goes. But yeah, I'm very tired and very sore and broken. Yay! Oh. For context, I have been away for five nights in Auckland going to various gigs and staying up way too late and basically sleeping four hours a night for the last week. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been a time. I've just doubled down on the whole living. Yeah, like I've just doubled down on living my 19-year-old revival, I guess, and then my body is feeling it, basically. My knees hurt. Everything hurts. I love this for you. Hey, Ellie, I'm busy. Take my phone back and record me, okay? Mm, I want to interview you, but we can't. Oh, my God, <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Sorry about that. Um, so That's would you okay. say that your week of being 19 is what sparked joy for you? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Definitely going away, doing all the gigs, seeing... So we saw Harry Styles, which was great. Saw my Kim, which was great. Went to a drag show, which was great. <laughs> all my friends accidentally stayed up till 3am going to various clubs like yeah just it's been a delight but an exhausting delight yeah i love all of this for you it sounded like you were having a great time when i was texting you to complain you were like oh my goodness this is terrible but it was like typo after typo and you're like sorry i'm at a drag show and i'm like what are you doing listening to me complaining you're at a drag show yeah i had i was like already three cocktails and shots and a bottle of wine deep and then for some reason met up with some <laughs> friends after that and we had like I had like nine G&Ts and somehow woke up at 8am the next day and went for a run so you went for a run as well yeah oh I got in gosh. at three and then I got up at eight and I was just like need to sweat it out need to sweat it out <laughs> and you went after like two hours of sleep hungover amazing you're my idol I love you well yeah I was like, this is that weird moment where you wake up when you've been out and you're like, this is it. If I go back to sleep, I'm going to feel terrible. But if I get up and I do stuff now and I just like go for some exercise and just sweat it out, then I, I might have a fighting chance. And that was like, it was really accidental Friday night as well because the concert, mm. My Chemical Romance, was Saturday. So it wasn't my intention to only get, you know, four hours sleep when I knew I was going to have to stay up that night. But um, oh well, Aww. I had a nap. How was the show, though? Was it good? Yeah, it was really good. It was great. It was just really wonderful. The people were just, like, living their best life. And Goodnight Nurse, who got back together especially to perform for the show, and they just dropped a banger of a song a week before, and they played, like... It was just great. They were just obviously just relishing the fact that they were on there, on the stage, just living their best dream. And, yeah, it was great. And, I mean, it's Joel Little, like... He's a Grammy award-winning producer and he's like out there with his garage band from when he was like 21. Like I'm into it. It was great. It was a great time. Yay. I'm glad you finally got to see Mike Kim. You had been waiting for this for like literally four years. Yeah. No, it was good. Um, What sparked joy for you this week? Oh, well, I had a very busy, productive week, but in a very different way. So I spent all week 
doing things around the house and garden. So like digging lots of holes and moving things and ordering dirt. This is my life now. Um, <laughs> so the highlight of this week was that I got to go and see my friends in my sewing group who our sewing group basically went on hiatus last year because everybody's kids are now like sporting on Saturday age. So we just couldn't meet up regularly. Um, but one of the girls in our group, Beck, was just like, no, you guys are all coming over. Pick a day in March. And so this was like the day that worked the best. And it worked out with our schedule as well, which was great. And I got to go and spend time with my friends. And I feel like I'd never get to spend time with these people. So it was really wonderful. And I just sat and sewed for like four hours straight and everybody brought treats. And I took Japanese candy and cookies. And another friend bought cake. Someone else brought a pasta salad, which was amazing. Um, Beck made sausage rolls, so it was just a wonderful mm. day, and I just feel like really restored and like oh, I missed these girls. Oh, I love that for you. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. It's so nice to spend time with people that you care about, and you get to do something that you love. Like honestly, unparalleled. Yeah, yeah. It was just nice to be back in that community because we really did have such a hard time through the pandemic, just even being able to meet. And then mm. after that, everybody's kids were like doing all of the extracurriculars, so it was. Like we're grabbing it before our soccer starts. <laughs> we're doing it now before soccer season kicks off. Mm, cute. Nice. Okay. Well, you know, let's just crack on. This week we're reading chapters 47 to 53 through the theme of loyalty. Big topic. <laughs> Did you have a story for us on loyalty? I kind of had some meditations on loyalty because I was trying to think of like, is there a point where I could talk about loyalty and not sound like a complete jerk. So I was like, I wanted hmm. to think about what it meant for me to be loyal. So that became this like deeper philosophical conversation. But I teased it out and I went to Etym Online, which is my etymology resource. And loyalty is apparently really, it was like the, the root word is the same one that is for legal. So it's like about being true and like fair and right and like a legal sense as well. Like royal and regal. That's kind of the, the comparison. Uh -huh. Which I thought was really interesting because I wouldn't have put it toward a legality at all but it's it's linked which makes me think of it in a different way now but i think of loyalty as a way of being true and the way i mm -hmm. like to use this framework is like when i'm thinking about my ideals because it's really tough to claim loyalty to things that are mutable like people or organizations because they change it's like if you're loyal to them are you loyal to what they represent are you loyal to that person because you want them to be something that they might not be are you loyal to an organization which by the way is always a bad idea because um, mm -hmm. organizations are not people and they do not have feelings. They're not loyal to you. They're so not it's a loyal waste of time. to you. Yeah. And like I was trying to suss out what, you know, what I what loyalty meant to me because it's a, a value I really believe in. Mm -hmm. And so what I came up with was that I think that the best kind of loyalty is being true to yourself. So it's about identifying what makes you who you are, discovering your values, and then like trying to live to those values. And that gives you more flexibility about like being able to be loyal to people because if those people then don't adhere or I guess follow your values or like work within the framework that you've set for yourself then you can say well I'm loyal to myself and I am me and that's what I have to live with you know so I was thinking about how then do we navigate the tension between being true to yourself and your ideals but also being a flexible person and acknowledging that sometimes you do have to be forgiving of people or you have to accept that even if they're doing something that is against your values, you are still loyal to them in whatever ways. Mm. And like, is it disloyal to yourself to displace your own comfort for that of others? That I thought about that for a while. And I think where I came down on that is it's about what you can live with. 
loyalty is staying true to something like to your own values and that makes it a worthwhile trait but if you are doing something that you are being disloyal to yourself or being disloyal to someone else like you have to be able to live with it and that's what makes it that's what makes it worth it that's what makes loyalty Mm. important and I think the way I feel about this is like kindness is my main thing that I'm loyal to like I want to be a kind person even when I say mean things I don't want to say them in a way that will hurt someone so I generally don't say it at all or if I do say it I say it to you my self mate because you get it and you think I'm funny yeah I want the thing that I'm loyal to I want the person that I'm loyal to to be me and my own values because I know that that's the one area that I can really control so I know that that loyalty won't be misplaced I think that's kind of where I where I landed on that I like the idea of like thinking about loyalty to yourself. Like what does that mean to be like true to yourself, to be loyal to yourself? Like I'm prioritizing that, right? Mm. Because that's not something that we tend to prioritize. And this is where it comes into this thing where you were saying like maybe someone does something that doesn't appeal, like doesn't align with your values, but is it then self-betrayal to include them? Or how do you navigate that space? Like you can do it until a certain point I think like there's always room for kindness and for compassion and for grace right in those situations but if someone continually transgresses and continually lets you down Mm -hmm. that's the point where you have to prioritize yourself and your own loyalty to quote Harry Styles prioritize yourself (laughs) I know none of his songs so I am just going to take your word for it I don't know. He just said that at the gig. So I'm like, sure, let's go. Rock and roll. When he was like reading signs, he reads signs. And some girl had a sign up to say that her boyfriend had broken up with her. Oh. Or she'd broken up with him. And he was like, prioritize yourself. Anyway, it's a whole thing. It was random. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> Harry Styles. Everybody went to see Harry Styles except for me. I had a friend who went twice. And I'm like, I can't even go to He was to one very day. good. He was very good. I will say that. I didn't didn't have any expectations. Let's put it that mm. way. Like, I thought he'd be good. But I didn't think he'd be as good as, he's, as he was. Like, the sound was insane the crowd was so well behaved like there was such a good crowd Aww. probably the best crowd i've that. ever been to yeah no it was great it was a really good night um would highly recommend seeing him if Aww. you get the chance he's are you now loyal human. to harry styles is this are you a stan i, mean, I, I do like I, I don't i don't think so I, i'm not that like <laughs> obsessed with his music or anything but i would see him again like he was it was a really good night out like as a fun night out it definitely mm. delivered Okay, shall I do our chapter summaries? Yes, on that please. Note? Okay, so Simon is devastated at the thought of losing Baz, even though he has fully been expecting Baz to dump him for months now. He gets a haircut, Baz goes shopping, Penny and Shep try to scry for Agatha, but it doesn't work. Baz and Lamb meet for lunch, and Lamb realises Baz is completely new to vampirism and teaches him to tuck his teeth back while he eats. Despite promising not to, Baz leaves with Lamb, which prompts Simon, Penny and Shep to stage a completely unwanted rescue. Lamb is very irritated, but they all sit down to talk about how to rescue Agatha. So, you know, result. (laughs) Some kind of result, yeah. Um, And the big revelation, which is that Lamb is the king of the vampires. Yeah. Because, of course, the first person that Baz talks to is the king of the vampires. Like, that is just what happens when you're you're Baz Pitch. Yeah. Speaking of Baz Pitch, I think it is very bold of them. And maybe they haven't thought about this being quite a ballsy thing to do or, like, a, a risky thing to do. But when... You know, um, Penny orders room service and it comes up to the room and they're like, you have to sign for this, Mrs. Pitch. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm. So we've just like, we're just using that name. Okay, cool, guys. Good story. (laughs) Good job being undercover. Like 10 out of 10. I know. I was a bit like, huh? Is this right? It feels a bit weird. I don't think they've thought of it at all. Mm. 
So funny. And Shep's like, it's fine. I'll sign for it. He's just so unfazed. And this is the thing I really love about him is that he's just, he's very committed to his research and his relationships. Like he actually really loves this. And he's like, he's loyal to the idea of learning about magic, which I thought was a great asset because he knows so much about magic. He even knows more than they do about vampires, which surprises them all. Like that's a great intersection of his loyalty to knowledge and the expectation just being like completely thwarted that this normal this non-speaker doesn't know anything or that he knows more about vampires than an actual vampire yeah but Baz doesn't know anything does he Shep is interesting because he is loyal to his connections like he fosters these relationships he's loyal to the relationships that he's made Mm -hmm. right he has a loyalty to his friends but I don't think that Penny is wrong that there's an element of fetishization in that Mm. you know and I thought that the storm chaser description was such a good way of him like just showing that he's actually just chasing a high He's just chasing this high of knowing something. But I also thought it was really interesting because there's that section on page 263 where, you know, he says, I'm an explorer. And Penny says, oh, good, that always turns out well for the explored. And he then goes, what can I do to convince you that I don't mean any harm? And she says, what can I do to show you that you do harm even when you don't mean to? And I love that because it's true. Like, Mm. it's true that sometimes we harm people even when we don't mean to. And I think... It's interesting that Penny doesn't see that she also has this quality in herself. Like, yes. she does this all the time. Exploit. And she can call it out. Yeah. She can call it out and shit, but she doesn't see it in herself, which is really interesting. Because it shows she's aware, but she's not self-aware. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's protecting her culture, but she doesn't mind exploiting other people's cultures for her gain. Yeah. She's our yeah. problematic white moderate, isn't she? Yeah. But she's so loyal to her friends. Like, when she's just thinking about how scared she is for Simon and Baz and then mm. Agatha, and she just starts crying, like, oh, poor yeah. Penny. And she's like, I can't believe we're eating these eggs. They're so expensive. And Agatha's getting the magic fracked out of her, and that made me laugh. There's so many bits of this section that made me laugh. And, you know, she doesn't want to let Simon leave, but he's like, I will go off if you don't let me leave. And she lets him leave. And I thought that, that was really lovely of her to just recognize that, like, their friendship, she needs to give him some space sometimes like she's more loyal to his comfort than she is to protecting him which sometimes is hard to take when you're when you've always been the protector but it's so interesting when Baz then calls her out for it as well when she's like I'm not his keeper and he's like that's literally all you are like that is your one job Penny I thought that was really not nice of Baz to say that because like maybe they have this tacit agreement but is it accurate I don't think it's accurate I think she views herself like that. She certainly described herself Mm. like that in previous sections that she's always like the one looking out for Simon because no one else does and he doesn't look out for himself. But it's so interesting because like Simon's so loyal to Baz. Yeah. Though he thinks it isn't reciprocated, which just drives me wild (laughs) and completely feral because Baz can recognize Simon's heartbeat. Like he knows it's Simon from his heartbeat. It's so I'm literally going to throw myself off a bridge. Oh, don't do that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. It's rough. That section is rough. But also, I love that we get Baz admitting that he actually hears his own heartbeat. And he hears Lamb's heartbeat, which is just really slow and low and soft. So, like, he does have a heartbeat, which in the last section, I believe, Simon was like, I've never heard his heartbeat. And I've laid with yeah. my head on his chest all night long. And I was like, does his heartbeat? And then in this section, I'm like, it does beat. It does. So we definitely get that confirmation and um, lamb is such an interesting kind of foil to baz's own worst thoughts like he doesn't know you know he, he, there's all these expectations right that baz has mm. about vampirism and what it means like if you bite someone you turn them you know like you can't yeah. just walk away from it uh, uh, once you've done it 
Yeah. So interesting. And like his family's avoidance of it, right, has really fueled this thing as something you can't talk about, whatever, whatever. And he thinks mm. of himself as an animal. Like literally in the first page of the section that we read, he talks about being more like a mongoose than a man. And then you have that juxtaposed mm. directly with Lamb telling him that he isn't an animal. You know, that's a, there's an animal response, he says on page 274, and you are not an animal. The way he just like constantly checks Baz against his kind of prejudice and his assumptions and his expectations of what it means to be a vampire and how he thinks that means he has to behave. Yeah. In this really interesting way, which is why Baz is so taken with him, right? Like he, he really sees him as a as a mentor figure or someone who can he can learn something from. I don't think he trusts him, but I don't think he really perceives him as a threat in the way that it does turn out that he is later yeah. on, right? But he's not even a threat to Baz. Directly to Baz, he's not a threat, which is most of the problem, I would say. Mm. Because he's he's seen something in Baz that he needed. This is my theory. Lamb has seen something in Baz that he needed when he was at that age scared and afraid and unsure of what it meant to be who he had become and he needed a guide he needed family and so he's like well i guess i could take this kid on but it's not actually about like baz needs simon and and to to lamb that's just like oh he's just another mortal and so he doesn't he doesn't account for that and so he doesn't get to keep baz you know i do think there's a lot of loyalty in the way that lamb views vampirism and the vampire community like he talks about it being a brotherhood and he talks about it being a community Loyalty is innate into that, right? And then yeah. he talks about the next blood and how they don't have that and how they've turned all these people and they're just like going, leveling everyone up and calls yeah. them infidels, right? So there's this yeah. real interesting thing. And I thought that was such an interesting juxtaposition of expectation as well, like his expectation of what it means to be a vampire compared to Baz's expectation of what it means yeah. to be a vampire, right? Because he has his own expectations of how it works and that is being challenged by the way that the next blood are doing it, which yeah. he doesn't like. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. He's like so scandalized by the fact that they don't even drink blood, they transfuse it. Of course, it has to be free range, purified. And I don't, yeah, I don't think ba- like Lamb is wrong when he talks about how, you know, what's going to happen when they realize no one in Silicon Valley is aging. Will there mm. even be bleeders left? You know, all these things about how they're just going to keep pushing and pushing because that's what tech bros do. They push beyond yeah. when common sense tells you to stop. They keep pushing and they don't think about the consequences because, yeah. of course, yeah, we figured out how to live forever. Of course, we're going to give this to everyone. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and the way that Agatha pushes back against that, like, Brayden is saying to her, I think you can be the one that unlocks it for us. And she's like, I don't consent to any of this. And then she says, I am not eminent domain. Mm. And she also says to him, you know, she asked that very pertinent question, which is like, what's more important than you? Like, you're just basically implying that he's completely selfish and just thinking of himself. But I do think there's some a, a matter of loyalty that comes through in that for me. Like, Baz and Penny and Agatha, even Agatha, who like mm. pushes against magic so much, are loyal to the idea of magic and how it mm. operates. Like, all of them are like, no, you can't just take this and give it to other people. Yeah. It's like the American expats I meet who live here who are like, we have an immigration problem in the U.S. And I'm just like, mate, where do you live right now? Do you realize what you're saying? Like, do you hear yourself? Do you hear what you're saying right now? You are an immigrant and you're railing against immigration. It's a very similar thing. Like, I'm allowed to hate this thing. But if I am this thing, then I'm going to be loyal to it. Yeah. Hey, do you think there's loyalty in the way that magical heirlooms work? Like, and are expected to work? You know, that your family, the, the, the stone works for Penny and the, the belt buckle works for Gareth. Like. <laughs> yeah, and her sister's got a wand that squeaks because it's so new and one of her brothers is stuck with a monocle. 
I thought it was linked back to the idea that like when you settle in a place, your magic settles in a place and your family's mm. magic settles in a place. Mm. And I wonder if it's similar with the heirlooms. Like, you know, Simon did get a wand, but he didn't think it belonged to anybody in anyone's family. So it didn't actually work for him. Yeah. You have to be loyal to the object and then the object will be loyal to you in a way, right? Right. Yeah. So I think it's something about how you believe in it as well. What you put into it is what you get out of it. Hmm. Which I think I would prefer the new wand, because even if it didn't have my family's magic, I would get to train it exactly as I like it. Even if it were squeaky. That would make sense to me. I had, um, I wanted to talk a bit about the expectations that Baz has for himself, and the way that Shep can just undo that in a simple comment. Because Baz has been slowly coming to this, I guess, upset of expectations about what it means to be a vampire. And then Shep just says, oh, I doubt he turned him. Vampires hate to turn people. Mm. They either take a sip and let you go or drain you dry and leave you dead. And they're like, you what now? He could do what? It had never occurred to Baz because he just finishes whatever animal he started. It had never occurred to him that you could stop. Yeah. And so and he, like, yeah. he, he didn't have the expectation of it being something he could change. I love how Shep is also like, which you already knew because you are a vampire. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, he has this really interesting point of view like Baz. Like he talks about, you know, what's the difference if you take one sip, one or mm. 50, like, you know, it's this really all or nothing kind of attitude. Yeah. I chose part of that for my in-depth, but I kind of, the way that he talks about it, he treats it like addiction, right? Like I lose my mm. sober chips if I have a drink. Which is not how addiction works either. <laughs> like, just, yeah, just so everyone yeah. knows. Like, yeah. And I think he tr- he has to treat it that way because he doesn't want to be that person. He doesn't want to be the kind of vampire who drinks people. So that's why he treats it as if it's something that he has to avoid entirely. Like, he abstains completely. Yeah. Which I think is partly loyalty to his mum and his mum's death in a way. It's okay for him to be a vampire as long as he isn't the kind of vampire who would do what killed his mum. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned Natasha because I have a new headcanon. Page 270, where he talks about, I see something blue tumbling towards me on the wind, my mother's scarf, Mm -hmm. and then he drops his bags to catch it, right? This is in the section when he has just been thinking about his dad and how his dad has all these expectations and like Mm. how mad he'd be about them like on this crime spree and maybe he should just call his dad and he's like, I can't do that. I I know, like Fiona won't judge me, I'll call Fiona, but then of course Fiona doesn't answer the phone. So he's looking for a family member to reach out to, he's looking for someone to come and support him and penny has just cast kindred spirits yeah and then this scarf turns up so i'm like this is natasha coming to help him she's coming to give him the support that he needs in this difficult time i love it that is fantastic also the kindred spirit thing where she's like oh it's not it's not it's too far away to hook it's 100 because ship doesn't have a soul (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love Shep so much. I love how excited he is by everything he finds out. I love that he sends he spends commentary on, oh, I didn't think a vampire would drive a Prius. That's interesting. And he puts it into his little friend file. And Simon's mad because he's like, I told Baz not to get, he's done it. I'm so, in- why is Shep talking about Priuses? Like, he's so frustrated. It's great. I also love how Shep just takes control of that situation. You know, Penny goes in there like, what? Like, gym blazing. Air, <laughs> Baz is essentially trying to stop Simon from killing Lamb and Lamb killing Simon. Who knows? And, and then Chip's like, mm, let's just have a civilized conversation, shall we? <laughs> Hi, this will sound much better when we actually sit down and explain it. Can we sit? And then he just goes through and like, he's so, so good about it being like, well, we have a mutual enemy. So actually it benefits you to help us. He's like really manipulating that situation in a yeah. fun way, accessible way. Bless. 
I love him. I love that he keeps trying. He's very loyal yeah. to the mission. He's on the mission with them. He's loyal to them and he's loyal to the mission. I love how on page 262 he says people offer up their secrets. You don't have to chase them because you know who that reminded me? It reminded me of Gansey. The world turns out their pockets for shit, right? <laughs> Just like Richard Campbell Gansey. Mm, it does. My boy Gansey, who I love so much. Yes, I have a lot of feelings about Lamb. I want to like Lamb. Do you have this problem? Like, I really want to like him. I feel like he's actually doing the best he can for his community. So nah. I respect that. Nah, I never liked Lamb. I'm on Team Simon with this. I think he's always been very suspicious, always very acting very duplicitously. I don't necessarily believe that he's doing it for the greater good of his community. I think he's doing it as a power grab because he's just mad about this new yeah. way of doing things. I just, I don't think there's anything altruistic in his behavior. I don't disagree. But I think he could have gotten Baz very easily by offering him things that he wanted, but instead he kept him at arm's length and he still gave him useful things, which to me speaks of like unwilling or not, or calculated or not, a kind of mentorship. So is he yeah, any different just... teaching Baz how to do these things than Shep who sits there and listens to a hinky punk complain about their migraines? I don't know. I just think, I think it's a tactical error on Lamb's part because he's so old that he's forgotten what it's like to be a freshly turned vampire. I think if he... Yeah. had thought about it a little bit more he would have approached baz differently and it's all about like just getting him into the fold right because mm. you're stronger together so getting more people into the funnel ultimately supports their cause but yeah he makes that tactical error of like not considering the fact that baz hasn't lost mortals before like he hasn't he yeah. still has his family and friends right once you start losing people your lovers your family your friends you do become disconnected and you stop caring about these other concerns, right? Like to, yeah. to Lamb, Penny and Simon are just nothing, right? Yeah. Classic interview with the vampire, Vampire Chronicles psychology. I'll have to reread it again. It's on my list. Maybe if I can find a good audiobook while I'm painting the porch, which is next mm, week's task. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I like a leader who cares about their people and is also willing to invite others in. And he is willing. Like, I mean, he's not perfect, but... The thing that always gets me every time that I can't discount Lamb for is that he actually sits with Baz and helps him to eat. And Baz yeah. is so proud of himself for eating the whole meal without his fangs popping. And he's like tearful and he hasn't eaten like this since he was a child. And it just it hurts my, my mother heart so much that this poor kid has had to go through this, this life of not having food with others. I absolutely th agree. I did a sad face next to that. I really feel for Baz, but you could also, yeah. put, to put a cynical read on it, like that's just self-preservation from Lamb as well, though, because mm. he has to maintain the secrecy, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he does say, don't even talk about reclaiming the word vampire. It just draws attention. And I'm like, it's everywhere in popular media. I think you're okay. I also love that Baz is concerned about, you know, both him and Penny talk about the magical credit card fraud and how they're basically just on a massive crime spree. And I think both of them <laughs> expect repercussions for this behavior, but they're sort of just yeah. parking that for now. But then Baz goes on to talk yeah. about how this works. Like, will the bills fade in the register or on the way to the bank? And then he's like, will this very nice shop assistant be fired? I do like that he thinks about that because he's like, oh, I'm doing this terrible thing. It doesn't stop him from buying more suits than he needs, though, but he's thinking about it. <laughs> 
I love that he cares about the shop person. That's a point in his favor, for sure. And mm. I also love the part where Penny comes in and right, makes it rain, magically counterfeited $100 bills, and says, go buy yourself some clothes for your vampire date. Hurry up, I have to pee. Like, that's so Penny, and I love it. I wondered, did she tell Simon that she sent Baz on an excursion, or did Simon just wake up and see that Baz was already gone? Because the way I read that when she talked about the fact that Simon had left, I read it that he just woke up and saw that Baz was gone, and he's like, I have to get out of here. Like, I don't mm. think Penny provided him context as to where Baz had gone, which would like just fuel this narrative in his head that he's already losing bears right like yeah yeah that's a big point i thought in the discussion of loyalty is like does Simon think that Baz is being disloyal? Does he worry about that? Because we we have the perspective of from Baz. We know that Baz isn't even remotely interested in Lamb. But Simon is terrified of losing Baz and has to lose him on his own terms in order to lose him at all. But he can't stand the thought of losing him in another way. And so I thought that that was an interesting parallel. Worried about that disloyalty but still planning to leave him. I also think that Baz is right in any way the wind blows when he's like, maybe you were the one attracted to Lamb. I think that is 100% correct. He's like, oh no, a hot vampire. Like That is an interesting read. Um, Simon just continues to expect the worst for his life or his future though. You know yeah. when on page 260 Penny says the vampire risk is untenable, Simon, and he says how is that different from the rest of my life? Yeah. My life is not untenable. Poor Simon. I know. I also, I wondered if the expectation of it being a bloodbath out there was a little bit harsh everyone else seems to be fine and i'm sure that penny could quietly spell people she's just really terrified of something bad happening you know what this reminds me of and this is going to be controversial so apologies do not send me angry emails but basically my white family members in south africa behave this way being like oh it's just so scary and everything Mm. is terrible and you're going to get murdered the second you set foot on the streets and i'm like well i have friends who go on holiday to Mm. south africa and they're perfectly fine so i'm not saying it's not dangerous and it doesn't have at risk but so does brazil so do there's many other countries some countries do are just a bit more dangerous than others to the point where you're acting like you can't leave your house that's when it becomes an issue like and that's what penny's doing yeah she's very scared of it it's a bit like going to a foreign country and then being like i can't leave the room or i'll get pickpocketed you know they always say that about like always maybe just keep your wallet in a zip pack under your shirt or something like there's a way around it you can still like you'll be fine i always think you should travel if you want to I never want to leave my house because I like it here, but that's a whole different problem. Yeah, I worry about Penny's fear kind of getting the better of her. I think she's just really sitting in her trauma right now. I just think that fear comes, like this particular fear, comes from a place of bigotry. Like she's bigoted against vampires. We know that because of the, the information that they have available to them. Yeah. And that's where this fear is, this fear of the other, you know? Yeah. And she's also bigoted against normals, which is very obvious in the way that she talks to Shep. Um, did you catch that Shep loves tornadoes and used to be a storm chaser and then compared mm-hmm. that with Micah's like, you're a tornado. You just blow through everything at the beginning yeah. of the book. I finally caught that this time and I was like, oh, what an amazing thing. Thank you, Rainbow, for making this book have these little signs for me. And her being yeah. like, what do you call them? Tornadoes. Because she's just learned that. <laughs> yeah. Because she's, you know, she's explaining that her mom is like that. And then Shep just says that I'd love her because I used to be a storm chaser. And this is... And she's like, why would you do that? That sounds dangerous. And she's thinking of when Simon used to go off and like Shep's explaining, you know, it's cool to be close to all that power to see the storm in action. The air changes, the hair on your arm stands up. It's like nothing else. And that is what it's like being around Simon. And that is what it's like being around Penny. Like you don't actually know what to expect because they're dynamic and mutable and incredibly interesting people. Of course that they, Mm. of course they are. Even 
traumatized on this mission. They're single-minded. They're focused. They're incredible humans. Well, they're incredible mages. And also, I just think that Shep probably watched Twister when he was a kid. Like, we all didn't want it to become Storm Chasers. No, absolutely not. That film absolutely traumatized me. I was so scared. I watched it as an eight-year-old. No, genuinely. Like, genuine fear. And then I watched Volcano not long after. And then I developed a massive fear of volcanoes. So actually, naturally, Disaster movies is like a no-go for me. And now you live in a volcano place. This is terrible. Well, there's no volcanoes in Wellington. Yeah, but there's volcanoes in New Zealand. I'm from a volcano place as well. New Zealand's a big country. <laughs> this is true. You have lots of islands and only some of them blow up. Yeah. Um, we had expectations in the text because Baz talks about, I don't know why I didn't expect it when his fangs dropped. Mm. So we got expect. And there was Shep saying something about expectations. Um, oh, he was saying that Lamb looks like the Jane Austen film version of an English person. <laughs> he looks exactly like you'd expect an English person to look if you'd only seen them in Jane Austen movies. Sort of pencil drawn and pretty, which I thought was a lovely yeah. way to describe him. And I immediately thought of Lamb as Bingley from the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, which is probably why I like him so much, because I think that that actor is lovely. Cute. But anyway, um, I think that's all I had. Mm. Um, did you have anything for Tangential? I, yeah, a couple of things. So just think it's really funny when Baz is like, how much did you hear? And Penny's like, enough to write a book called Vampires of the Voice. Like, that's just really <laughs> funny. Also, when Baz is like, I told him the truth, and Penny goes, oh no, and while Shepard goes, good plan, always for the best. I just think that's great. <laughs> like, these two signs of it, right? Um, I love them so much. Yeah, and just Baz, like, a couple of really big things. Like, when he talks about, I can pretend nothing matters, it's practically my neutral state on page 272. Yeah. Just like, oh, Baz. And I also just really love when he's, like, having, trying to have that conversation with, um, lamb in the car and he's like what eats you and um, lamb goes existential (laughs) despair i'm like yeah same mood yeah i love that he then snaps back with you must you must be so lucky because you found the only vampire in las vegas who will listen to your speeches and lamb just goes with it he thinks it's funny because it is funny because he does do these little speeches and probably everyone else is sick of them but he's the king so they have to listen um what was your tangent still um, I love that. I love that Simon at the end was gloating. He's like, he doesn't know what I am. And Baz is just like, an oaf? I think he got that. <laughs> He's so annoyed with him for hopping into rescue. He's like, I was fine. I didn't need rescuing. Also, when he's like, I am, um, you know, literally nothing you say is helpful. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love that. Also, oh my gosh, I just remembered Lamb gives him a plastic cup to drink his tea out of. <laughs> That was one of my favorite parts. Everyone else gets China, but 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 Simon gets the um the plastic casino cup. It's such a like yeah. okay, you've broken my chair, you've broken this vase, you've broken something else, and you're invisible. You're getting the plastic cup. It's so good. I loved the whole section where Lamb is teaching Baz how to eat with his teeth tucked. I loved that so much. He's trying so hard, and he's so proud of himself. At the end, on page two seventy five, he says. I think I might be beaming. Lamb is smiling, but his eyes are sad. And it's like, so it's such a gorgeous moment, but it hurts me so much. So I also love that Baz says that he's never tried before, because again, it's that expectation that this is just what happens when yeah. you're a vampire. He doesn't know any better. So he's never tried. And now he's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to really try. Yeah. And you just know it'll get easier the more he does it. Right. Mm, so Exactly. And then I think there was a hidden twilight reference, which I think we have to talk about on page 276, where Lamb says, Baz, how old are you? I don't have a lie ready. 20. Right. And I'm 34. How old are you really? I look up at the lights at the acoustic tile ceiling. 20. I hear him exhale. Right, he says. Let's talk about the next blood. And it's such a, how long have you been 17? 
I know that Rainbow loves Twilight, so I try and find the little Twilight references because I feel like she's put them in there for herself, but we also get to enjoy them as fans. Yeah. And I mean, like, I feel like Lamb should have known that this was Bez's first rodeo, you know? Like, there's enough science, my dude. For sure. And, like, he's so incapable of doing anything vampiric because he's been in England. That enough should be the indication, right? Like, he hears what it's like. He knows that he's in this, like, really closeted and cloistered environment and he can't be who he is. That should be an indication. But instead he's decided that, like, he's possibly the enemy, which is not the case. Baz just wants mm. information. And to save his friend. Yeah. Um, and I think the last bit of tangential I wanted to point out was on page 281 where he says he doesn't eat people and and Lamb's sort of like, why? And then Baz thinks it through and he goes, because I didn't want to kill anyone, I think, but that argument won't work with him. Instead, I say, because I didn't enjoy being bitten. And that's a really beautiful encapsulation of, like, actually, this was a really horrible and traumatic experience for Baz. And, like, as snarky and as cranky as he is, he isn't going to traumatize someone else just to satisfy a hunger. And that's a really beautiful indication of what he is as a person. And I love that this is actually the first time that someone has recognized Baz's self-control in a way, right? Like, Lamb sees it. Like, when he talks Mm. to him through the the teeth withdrawal process, he's like, I know you can do it because you weren't even tempted when I had that dude in front of you, like. Yeah, mm. it's really lovely. It's I think it's nice to be recognized for that hard work, and Baz needed that recognition for sure. By someone who knows how hard it is as well. It's not just like yeah. Penny or Simon who doesn't understand because they've never experienced it. Yeah. Um. Did you have in-depth? I do have an in-depth. So it's on Ooh. page 271. Um, it is when Baz has just got returned from his shopping trip, and they're all standing around, and he's having a crack at Penny for letting Simon out of his sights. <laughs> And Simon comes in and he's cut his hair. So the line is, page 271, it's Simon. He's cut his hair. He comes in self-conscious looking at the floor. Doesn't really relate to loyalty at all, but I think it relates to expectations and the way that Penny and Baz have expected Simon to behave, right? I don't know if they had any expectations of what they thought he was off doing, but I don't think they were Mm. thinking he was going to go get a haircut. Um, Also, the only time Simon previously would get a haircut is the end of school, right? He'd get his hair shaved off and then over the summer it would grow back. So this is a subversion of what they expect and what they expect of his behavior thus far. I have chosen it because it's anecdotal, but boys are weird about their haircuts. So weird. So I have noticed multiple male friends of mine, men at work, when you comment on their haircut, when they get a haircut, they're very strange about it. They act self-conscious. They don't like you mentioning it. They just act really weirdly. And I find this so interesting. And I've mentioned this to other female friends and they then go and look for it in their partners. And they're like, you were right. He acts weird about the haircut. It's just a very interesting thing that I've... Like, so many of my friends do this. And I thought it was so interesting that Simon is self-conscious in this moment. He's looking at the floor. And then P- Penny makes a remark that he just ignores. He just goes mm. straight to the, like, well, are we ready? Are we doing the thing? And this is exactly what they do. And I think this is a brilliant piece of description, like, description of the character. But also just of Simon and this idea that why do we get haircuts, right? So often, like my hairdresser says, he refuses to cut a girl's hair when she's just come out of a breakup. He's like, always Mm. like, give it a couple of days. And if you still want it, then I'll do it. But if she just comes in straight away, wanting to walk in off the street and like shave her head, he's always like, no, we're not doing that. Because (laughs) so often when you're going through emotional turmoil, you tend to cut your hair or change your hair because this is something that you can control and you feel like you need to do something because your current situation, to use the term from earlier in the novel, is untenable. So you, your hair is something yeah. you can control. Anyway, I just like it really stood out to me 
because boys are weird about their hair. So if you have noticed this with the men in your life, let me know and we can do a little research project. Yeah, um, yeah. Send us emails. Uh, hello at marginaliapod.com. I'd love to know how it shakes out for other people who have boys or men in their life. Yeah. With my son, it's like a big opportunity for me to build him up and to be like, oh, look at you. You're so handsome, aren't you? And then he gets really embarrassed, but he's like really pleased about it as well. And he's like, yeah, I look handsome. I'm I'm handsome haircut boy. Like he loves it. So it's very, but like also I used to cut his hair too because I couldn't get him to a barber. Now we can actually go to a barber. So my experiences might be a little different. So I'd love to hear how other people go with that. So, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying going forward. Compliment men, the men in your yeah. life when they get a haircut and let me know how they react because yes. I'm intrigued. I, I don't know why this is a thing that seems to happen, but yeah, this is what I've observed. So, yeah. What was your in-depth much, Nalia? Well, I have done the thing where I link two sections together again. So love I wanted it, to talk about Baz and his mother. Um, So at the beginning of the section, Baz was talking about how you know, he had watched someone, he knows that vampires now look cool feeding on other people. And he's had that view. And then he says, my mother had that view once she set herself on fire to stop it. And then on page 270, as you were talking about earlier, um, he's just returning back to the hotel when he's, I'm about to step in when I see something blue tumbling towards me on the wind, my mother's scarf. I drop my bags to catch it. Now I think that this is like a deeper loyalty. I think it indicates a deeper loyalty to his mother, but also the way that he holds himself apart from being a vampire fully is a loyalty to his mother and to her ideals. And I I spoke about this a little bit before where I think that the reason that he doesn't eat people is not just because it's morally wrong, but because it would then further separate him from the person that he wants to be, which is his mother's child. And I think that he connects his mother's choice to kill herself rather than be turned or see her son turned with his current experiences with Lamb. But then he also like drops everything to catch a memento of her. So he's still living in that tension. I love that his loyalty to his mother is that enormous. I love that his loyalty to her legacy is that enormous. But I think that he has an expectation also to be who he is. And I'm not saying he should go out and eat people, but I think he needs to recognize that that is a part of his life that he is going to constantly be in negotiation with. Like he's going to be in conversation with that Mm. because the expectation that he holds for himself is different than the one that everyone else holds for the community that he belongs to, whether he likes it or not. And Lamb even points that out by sort of excusing his own brother's actions by saying, like, it wasn't his fault. He had no one to teach him. He had no community. So what this reminds me of in in real life, I kept thinking about this in terms of like addiction or vice. Like the reason that I personally don't drink or do any drugs is because like I have the double whammy of having family members who've struggled with addiction and also have ADHD, which means I'm at risk of developing an addiction. So I just, I'm just abstaining. And that's just how I've kind of managed to do that. And I feel very much like Baz in this way, that like I just won't do it at all and then it won't be a problem. But I'm wondering if I could look at it as if Baz is someone who keeps kosher, maybe. Like he is part of this community and it's a link to his mother, even in the face of the pressure to join another community. Like his own moral and communal compass guides him. And I think if I reframe it in that way, that he's holding to this this ideal of his mother, like he, he won't be a full vampire no matter what he was expected to be. I think I can see something more beautiful about it. It's not about like not doing something or like avoiding temptation. It's about being part of a different community that has stronger ties. And I guess going forward, I just want to remember that not every community can fit every person. And it reminds me again that this is why we need brave spaces. No safe space will actually be inclusive ever of everyone. But if we have brave spaces where we can all try, we can try to hold place for people. We can try to be gracious as needed 
it might not be perfect, but we're all trying. And I think that that's something we can get behind. So I want to try to have brave spaces and be part of those. Always worthy to try. Yeah. Yeah. It was a tough one. I, I really want Baz to be okay. I don't want him to eat people, but I want him to be okay. I want him to love himself. I want him to bite Simon because Simon <laughs> obviously wants it and it's fine. <laughs> Consent is important. It's a win-win. What is it that Penny says? Keep your bedroom habits to yourself? I know, and that's such a blow. Like, she has no idea what that means. But, like, for them to have never made that step, it's actually just... It's such a hurtful thing, like, honestly. Anyway, let's not even get into that. The whole other (laughs) kettle of fish. Oh, yeah, we have plenty of that in the next book when they actually get to do a little bit more than kissing, which we have all been waiting for. Um, Who would you like to spotlight this week? I am spotlighting sad boy Baz, sad boy Baz times, because it's just horrible for him to constantly be blindsided by who he is and what he thinks he is and the way he views himself and to constantly have that subverted and be like, wait, that's not, that's not how it works. Oh, that, that's not who I am. Like, it's just a lot of that he's going through. It's a lot of self-work and a lot of like self-interrogation that he has to do when he's already in a state like a conflicted state it's not like he's doing this in the best of circumstances they're basically on the run trying to rescue Agatha like it's very intense he's supposed to be undercover and he has all these like interpersonal things like coming at him it's just a lot and I just think he's doing the the most right now and I just want to give him a big shout out for that oh poor Baz he's doing the most he is um who would you like to spotlight I would like to spotlight Simon, the invisible boy who ran in to save the day and was yelled at for it. Sometimes it's not about you, (laughs) but he really wants to care for the people he cares for. And rescuing them is the only way he knows how to show his love in so many ways. And he's so scared of losing Baz, too. I really feel that, like, the threat of the loss of a relationship that you care about is, I feel like the the little ghost behind me all of the time. Like, what if this person doesn't like me and I lose that friendship? That's a real fear that I have. That's like the biggest one I negotiate with all the time. So I really feel Simon in these sections. And I really, also, I was the kid who always got the plastic cup and not the fine china. So I re- I really, re- really recognized him there and being like just an unco kid. But I just want to give him a hug and tell him it's going to be okay. Aww. Um, Did you have any homework for our listeners? My homework is go get some sleep because Lord knows I need it. So let's all get a good night's sleep. That's my homework. That sounds good. I think that's very good. <laughs> What's your homework? Um, So I read an interesting article by Elizabeth Berg called Where I Used to Live that I thought was really nice. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty short. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, And it also talks about being okay with living alone and preferring to live alone, but then also recognizing that the past relationships that you might have had where you were in partnership with someone, like you can still miss that and still love being alone, which I thought was really beautiful. Um, Mm. And then I've been listening to the Hunger Games trilogy all week and I would highly recommend the special edition narrated by Tatiana Maslany and I think her PETA voice is just so good. And they're on Mm -hmm. Spotify, so you should listen to them because they're on Spotify, which is great. Get thee to Spotify and listen if you want to listen to the Hunger Games again. They're great. Well, next week we'll be reading chapters 54 through 59 through the theme of communication. Something that's severely lacking in this novel. Yeah, we need a little bit more of it. And it's going to be week nine, which I cannot believe we're already on week nine. How does that happen? Yeah, and brief interlude of actually seeing you in person. Yes, I'm so excited. I hope the weather holds so that we can go and do all the fun things. 
so looking forward to it yay me too all right i will oh, wow. see you soon thank you so much this was great cannot wait see you next <laughs> week bye. bye thank you for joining us today marginalia pod is written edited and produced by us gen d and gen v We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 